people tend to like hard assets, both in times of uh, inflation and when there's geopolitical conflict. So I think all of that bodes well for real estate on a macro level. And I think it means that the private equity funds and the and the endowments and the big institutional and governmental non-U.S. investors are going to continue to have a big appetite for commercial real estate. Hello and welcome to The REIT Report. I'm your host, Sarah Borkson-Keto. With me today to discuss some of the findings from his firm's annual commercial real estate sentiment survey is John Sullivan, U.S. Chair and Global Co-Chair of DLA Piper's Real Estate Practice. John, welcome back to the podcast. Thank you very much. So great to be here. So what is the overall level of confidence you're seeing among commercial real estate executives today? And what are some of the high points and pain points that they're experiencing? So overall, the the sentiment is is quite quite high, quite quite optimistic. The responses. So our our survey goes to uh, leading um, commercial real estate executives, people who are making investment decisions, and with respect to overall sentiment in the DLA survey, seventy three percent of the respondents reported themselves as being bullish for the upcoming twelve months. And that's about the same as the level of bullishness that we saw in the last in the last DLA pre-pandemic survey. Um, but the level of the level of bullishness was a little bit higher this time around. So, in other words, the the bulls got got a little more bullish. And so, you know, what what did they point to as as positive things for 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 that optimistic outlook? A lot of them pointed to an abundance of investment capital. You know, the so-called dry powder, or we at on our not this last um, global real estate summit that we just had at DLA, but the one before, uh, Jonathan Gray from Blackstone spoke, and you know, he predicted this wall of capital that was going to come rushing in once the pandemic started to subside and he was absolutely right so a lot of them pointed to that wall of capital uh, as something making them optimistic a lot pointed to strong fundamentals in many of the real estate asset classes and the final thing that a lot of the optimists pointed to is a strong u.s economy so, so there's the plus side of the ledger. You asked about what are you know kind of the pain the pain points, if you will. And this, by the way, the survey our survey was taken in um, February and March, and we're living in this time right where things are happening so fast. So I was really interested to see what people would be saying at our actual conference at DLA two days ago. But in terms of kind of things that people are worried about, it's probably exactly what you and your audience would expect. It's increasing interest rates inflation, the potential long-term effects of remote working. And and then there are a lot of people um, just concerned about the potential ramifications of the war in Ukraine. And can you outline the capital markets outlook as of mid-2022 and which asset classes are capital flows mostly directed towards? Sure. Well, as I as I mentioned before, uh, there's you know there's a tremendous amount of investment uh, capital that's out there. There's one report that I saw recently. I think that pegged it at 450 billion dollars, and a lot of that money comes from uh, big institutional investors, pension funds, endowments, and they have to invest. They have an allocation to to real estate. So from a capital availability point of view, I think that uh, the market looks strong. And the same is true on the debt side. The debt has gotten more expensive, but 
but you can get the debt. And that's a big difference between what's happening now and what happened in the, in the global financial crisis, where it was not only was the debt just expensive, it was, it was hard, it was hard to get it. So that's not the, that's not the case here. So there's a lot of equity capital. There's, there's a lot of, there's a lot of debt capital, although no doubt more expensive uh, than it was three months ago, six months ago, but it, but it's there. And in terms of where is that capital going to go? So in responding to the the DLA survey, the asset classes that people identified as presenting the most attractive risk-adjusted returns for the next 12 months are logistics, uh, multifamily, uh, life science-related real estate, and data centers. And you touched on office earlier in your response. Uh, would you say that office is the most uncertain property sector at this time? And what impact is that having on um, cities and towns across the country? Yeah, yeah, I think you're. I think you're. I think you're spot on there. Yeah, I think it probably is the asset class where there's the the greatest amount of uncertainty. We're all trying to figure out, you know, which of the. Um, the impacts of the global pandemic are temporary and which are long-term. And of course, one of those big things is the whole remote working phenomenon and what is going to be the long-term impact of the demand for, for office space on that. So we had, we had a question, we at DLA had a question uh, on that subject in our survey. So just to, just to set the stage, um, the majority of, of respondents think that the pandemic is going to have a long-term impact on the, on the office market. Uh, which is, is uh, probably probably no surprise. Um, two thirds uh, predicted that it will take two to three years uh, to get occupancy levels back to pre-pandemic uh, rates, and um, some people thought it was going to be longer than that. And interestingly enough, twenty percent of our respondents said that office occupancy rates are never getting back to where they were so, so pre-pandemic, and it, it has that has obviously broad implications. It, not only for uh, the the owners of office buildings, lenders on office buildings, but um, also as as you mentioned on the on the cities themselves, because there's a whole there's a whole ecosystem. There are you know there are restaurants and, and barbershops and you know all all kind and and, and departments um, that all live in that same ecosystem uh, that in the big urban areas uh, you know have been driven in large part by the the office workers coming into the office five five days a week so i do think there is a lot of uncertainty there at our at our conference that we held in chicago on on tuesday there was a lot of lively discussion on this point and as you'd probably expect divergent opinions um personally i i I am a believer in the long-term success of the urban core in our major cities I think they have so much to offer, and I think that over time they will come back. So one of our panelists on Tuesday, you know, said something like, you know, in the long term, don't bet against New York City, and that's how I feel about not just New York City, but you know, some of the other leading cities like where you like, you know, DC and Boston and Chicago and London. I think uh, I think in the long term those will those will come back. Great. And we also hear so much about migration to the Sunbelt these days. Do you think that the Sunbelt still has more runway left? And are the opportunities in that market evenly distributed? I do think it has more runway left. Uh, our question, one of our questions in the, in the DLA survey 
was asking um, about markets and what markets investors preferred, and it was it was pretty dramatic uh, in terms of the the level of interest in the cities that are the the non traditional gateway cities, and that by and large are the are, are the are the Sun Belt cities. So the question was, uh, you know, where where do you think you'll find you uh, real estate investor will find the best investment opportunities over the upcoming 12 months. And as, as you know, historically, you ask that question and you know, you'd have New York and San Francisco and Los Angeles, all the usual suspects at the top of the list. They weren't at the top of the list this time. The, the, the list was Austin, Raleigh, Durham, Nashville, Phoenix, and Miami were the were the top five. So it's really precisely as as you said, it's the it's the Sun Belt cities, and it is pretty evenly distributed among the Sun Belt cities. And even um, there's been, as you know, a lot of investment in U.S. real estate by non-U.S. investors. Um, and they um, traditionally were very focused, like almost exclusively focused on the gateway cities, but they're no longer uh, doing that. They're also focusing on these on these Sunbelt cities. So I think we're going to continue to see that that trend. Um, and it's a it's I think it's a, personally I think it's a great thing because it, it just provides more opportunities for more people in more parts of the country. It creates it creates some challenges for those cities, you know, growth, you know, particularly growth that's accelerated growth. Um, it creates demands on public services and traffic and so forth. But I think if you ask the mayor of any of those cities, which would you rather have to um, has, have as a challenge, slow growth or, or, or fast growth? Though I'll, though I'll say I'll take fast growth. Thank you very much. Can you talk a bit about the role you see private equity playing in the coming year? Sure. I think it's going to play a significant role um, in our DLA survey. We asked uh, where we, you know, I told you that people said there's a lot of money out there and that's one of the things to, you know, for investment. And that's one of the things that is giving people a sense of optimism. So then we ask, okay, well, where do you, where do you think that that money is coming from? And they ranked um, private equity uh, first uh, in response to that question, followed by uh, domestic pension plans and endowments, and then non-U.S. investors, including um, sovereign wealth funds. So it's going to play. A, I think it's going to play a significant role. I mean, it, it can real estate private equity competes with corporate private equity, uh, um, corporate VC uh, investment money, and the public and the public markets. As you know, there's an incredible amount of volatility right now in the in the public markets and a lot of uh investors historically and i think there's data to to to, to back this up um view real estate as a good investment uh when you're in an inflationary environment particularly with asset classes where you have the ability to reprice yourself pretty frequently in other words raise your rents so apartments and, um, and industrial, um, other asset classes like that, that have relatively short-term leases are viewed as, as a good bet because you can, you can raise your rents to keep up with, hopefully stay ahead of inflation, but at least keep up with inflation. And people tend to like hard assets, uh, both in times of, um, uh, inflation and when there's geopolitical conflict. So I think all of that bodes well for real estate on a macro level and and I think it means that the private equity funds and the and the endowments and the big uh, institutional and governmental non-U.S. investors are going to continue to have a big appetite for um, commercial real estate. I, I, I will mention that there was a study I just saw recently by CBRE and um, 
of instit global institutional investors. And overall, the sentiment was that they were going to increase their real estate exposure this year over last year. And remember that last year was a record year, not a record year measured against the, you know, the pandemic year, the real pandemic year of the year before, but a record year period. So I think, I think that all um, bodes well for the commercial real estate market for this year. And the last few months in particular have been very active in terms of M&A. Do you see that trend continuing? And what are the factors fueling the acceleration? Well, I, I do think it will continue. You know, last year on the, on the M&A side was extraordinarily active. So I don't know that it keeps up that pace. And, uh, you know, I do think that inflation and, and rising interest rates, you know, could, could dampen it down a little bit. But I, I do think it will, I think it's going to be a, a, a strong, active M&A market this year. I think I think the last report I saw, you know, just so far this year, there are half a dozen, you know, very significant M&A transactions that have been announced. You know, it doesn't mean that they're actually going to going to close, but you know, they've been announced. And I think that I think Blackstone uh, may be the acquirer in three of the six or three of the five or something. Uh, and they, of course, were very active in the space in the space last year. So I think it will continue to be active. I, I, I think there are a couple of things going on, right? One, one is just a, a, a pricing exercise where people think they can find value. The public markets tend to react faster um, to, you know, value um, uh, changes than, than the private markets. So there can be some arbitrage that can go on there, and that's a factor. Another thing is 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 aggregation. Um, you know, real estate is a very um, it's still a very kind of inefficient market in the sense that it takes you know it takes a long time to 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 buy real estate. It's not like clicking on your your Bloomberg terminal to to buy a stock. And so, if you're a large investor and you you need to invest in scale. And you want to invest in, in an asset class where know, maybe the you know the assets cost somewhere between ten and fifty million dollars each to to buy. That's a very labor-intensive, time-consuming uh, thing to do. So so there are there are investors who want to get into certain markets, and they look at if there's a if there's a, a public company that has done that aggregation. Um, look at that as an efficient way to get into the market and scale. Excellent. John, we've covered lots of ground, but is there anything else that you think we should uh, take notice of? The only thing I would say, I'll turn back to, to the, the survey that, um, that we sent out recently to our DLA clients in our, in our summit. One of the questions in our survey related to ESG and asked how important uh, people think ESG is going to be in the upcoming year. And I was a bit surprised at the, the survey response because only about a third of the respondents said they, they expected ESG to be a top priority this year. There was actually, I think, a pretty stark contrast between that survey response and the discussions at our Global Real Estate Summit um, a couple of days ago. Uh, during the, the, the summit, I would say you know, across the board, when the ESG topic came up, uh, people said it was it was very it was very very important, uh, and you know a number of the big investors said that every single investment that they make now in their investment 
uh, Brees, you know, there's a section that, that talks about ESG. So um, I was a little bit surprised at the survey response. So what what we actually heard live at at our global real estate summit was more of of what I would have expected. I, I think the U.S. is lagging Europe a little bit with respect to the focus on ESG, but I think it's something to watch because I think it's something that is here to stay. John, thank you so much for speaking with us today. It's my pleasure. Thank you. Bye-bye. And to our listeners, if you enjoyed this podcast, please subscribe or leave a review on your favorite podcast platform. Mm-hmm.